take your Bible and open to Romans chapter 7. Let me just say that uh, Romans chapter 7 is one of those chapters that people who are much smarter than myself have been debating for a long time, uh, whether it be this small section that I'm in this morning or eventually as we look at verses 14 through 25. Now, the reason there is such debate, at least dealing in this small section that we're looking at this morning, the reason there is such debate is because it's dealing with the word law, the word law. Now, to help us understand this word law, it is used 23 times in this chapter alone. <laughs> That's a lot. 23 times it's used here in Romans chapter 7. Now, when this word law is used, when it has the definite article the in front of it, um, in the Greek, we know it means the law of God, or you can call it the Mosaic law, okay? The problem is that sometimes in Scripture, that word law is used, and even though there is no definite article, there is, it does not say the law, the context tells us that the author is speaking of the law of God. As you know, context is king, okay? Now, when you think of the law, most of us, first thing that comes to our mind is the Jews or are the Jews. Now, as far as here in the book of Romans, we know that there are some Jews here in the church in Rome, as Paul has already uh, made some points that were specifically aimed at the Jews. He actually mentions the Jew or Jews, plural, 13 times uh, in this letter, and five of those times are actually all in chapter 2. So he does sometimes uh, take a section of Scripture, even though it's written to the church as a whole, he speaks specifically to the Jews. No different than he does in other books. You know, Ephesians, there are times when he speaks to husbands there are sections that speak to wives, sections that speak to children, and you see that in, in different books of the Bible. Here, many times, like he will this morning, he'll speak to uh, the Jews. Now, as you know, Paul himself was a Jew. Paul actually was a, a Pharisee. He was trained under the very highly respected Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. And uh, Paul is therefore very knowledgeable in the law. And for that matter, I believe that knowledge has increased once he came to faith in Christ. Once the Apostle Paul came to know Christ, an understanding of that law has actually enhanced. Now, I say this because Paul uh, was someone who had a high regard for God's law, and he also knew its purpose, okay? He knew why God gave it. Under no circumstances would Paul ever degrade in any way um, the law of God because he knows it is the word of God. It's not just a group, uh, a, a group of uh, do's and don'ts. It is the word of God. And all this being said, some in the church in Rome have thought that Paul, because he has spoke on salvation being by grace through faith, they believe that Paul was setting aside the law. Okay? Matter of fact, back in chapter 3, verse 28, he said, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart 
from observing the law. He made it very clear, right? He made it crystal clear that salvation is not through the law. It is by faith, I will say faith alone, in Jesus Christ. But yet, just three verses later there, in chapter 3, verse 31, he says, we do not, or I says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? And of course, his answer was, absolutely not. Okay? The law is still active, and even now, it plays a vital role in salvation, even though the law itself does not save anyone. God uses the law. And so Paul made it clear that faith and the law are distinct. As far as salvation is concerned, the gospel did not replace the law. And that's because the law was never a method of salvation. Never has been. Never meant to be. I've quoted Paul's statement in Galatians 3, 24 and 25 many times. Paul made it clear, he said, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Do you see that? The law had a job, faith had a job. The law was to lead us to Christ. We're saved, we're justified by faith. Matter of fact, the, the very end of Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay? Folks, outside of the law being God's holy standard for Israel, that is the purpose of the law, that we become conscious of sin. The law continues to prove to people to show them that you're sinners. Why? Because you fall short of the law. That's what it was there for. Well, still defending himself, back in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, after giving uh, exposure, if you will, to the, the saving grace of God, Paul knew that there were going to be some people in the church, some of the Jewish folks in the church, who were going to say, you know, that, that Paul guy, uh, he teaches that we don't have to live under the law. He teaches that we can just keep on sinning and that God's grace is going to cover it. What was Paul's answer to that? His answer was by no means. His answer was absolutely not. Not only did Paul not sweep the law under the rug, but he's definitely not saying that we can live in sin under any circumstances. Matter of fact, he felt this was so important, he actually repeated himself just 13 verses later. The question asked is, what then? Shall we just sin because we're not under the law and under grace? Paul said, once again, the same identical answer he gave before. Absolutely not. Matter of fact, it is the strongest negative in the Greek language. As Steve Lawson says, he means no a thousand times no. Paul has a high regard for the law of God, and not just that, but how the law is used. The law has, if you will, a job description. What is it supposed to do? 
Not just how do we use it, but who is it for? What is the purpose of the law? Well, here in chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Now, you can actually flip that around if you want. If you were under the law, sin would be your master. That's the point. As I said earlier, because what does the law do? It just simply continues to prove to you that you fall short of God's holiness. You have sinned. There are Jewish believers in the church at Rome who still don't quite understand all of this. They don't understand how all of this goes together. They need more explanation. They need to know, does the law still come into play? I mean, this is what they grew up on, right? It still hasn't clicked with them quite yet. Well, before Paul gives his teaching on this, he's going to prepare them by using an illustration in verses 1 through 3 to ultimately lay the groundwork for what he tells them about their current relationship to the law. And that will start in verse 4. Okay, we're only going through verses 1 through 3 this morning. But he's just prepping him, giving an example, giving an illustration for what he's going to tell them in the following verses. Okay? So as he's done before with his illustrations, uh, Paul is going to use a topic that is just basic truth to everyone. Everyone is going to understand Paul's illustration. That's the way he wants it, right? He doesn't want to hide anything. He wants people to grasp this, right? Read with me, if you will, verses 1 through 3, chapter 7. He says, Do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Let me just read verse 4, because verse 4 is going to just kind of get our mindset on what's Paul trying to get across. He'll prepare us for next week. Okay? But So verse 4 says, So, or if you will, therefore, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So you can see what Paul is using today as an illustration to help them to understand what happens when you die, right? He mentions that here, but dealing with marriage as that illustration. He says, you've died to the law, right? But now you're connected to somebody else, the Lord Jesus Christ, see? That's kind of the illustration. That's kind of where he's going through. So in other words, the law has been left behind. You further yourself in Christ. We'll talk about that next time. But let's just continue now as we begin here in verse 1. You'll notice here that Paul uses the word law two times here in this very first verse. And as I stated earlier, uh, some will say that 
Paul is speaking of the law of Moses, and others will say it's just referring to the general law uh, overall, the law in general, if you want to put it that way. Now, to be honest with you, the fundamental principle okay, applies what Paul is trying to get across. The fundamental principle applies no matter what law it is. Let me just be clear. Whether it be the law of God or whether it be secular law, okay, it stops being applied at death. The law stops being applied when you die. As I just read a minute ago, Paul's point here and what he will follow up with next week, starting in verse 4, is that the law is only binding while you're alive. Once you have died, the, no, the law no longer applies. Okay? Paul will ultimately use that for his Jewish brethren to show them that since they have died, Right? As you know, they have died with Christ, right? Chapter 6, verses 2 through 7. Because they have died with Christ, they have died to sin. They have died to their old life, and they have died to the law. And therefore, it's no longer binding on them. That's where Paul's going to take us. But going back to verse 1, Paul says, For I am speaking to men who know the law. Number one, just as a side note, the word men there or man, it's, it means mankind. He's not talking about males in general. Okay? If you want, you can simply say to those who know the law, okay? just as a side note there. Secondly, though, he says these are his brothers who knew the law. Now, this is where for some people it gets tricky. Okay? The word the, the definite article, the, is not in front of the word law, and therefore it's not automatically presented as the law of God. In the Greek, it doesn't say the law. It's just law. Okay. On the flip side of that, the fact that Paul uses the word brothers here, as well as in verse 4, and the focus in this text is on the Jewish brethren who might be confused about the use of the law, it seems at least to imply that the law of God might be what Paul is speaking of. Whether he uses the word the law or not, it just seems to imply that might be what he's dealing with because he's talking to the Jewish brethren who are dealing with the law. Okay. Now this is where scholars... Uh, differ. This is where they get into debates, and this is when you look at something in a commentary, and you're looking for a paragraph, and they give you three pages, <laughs> because this is what people smarter than us do. Now, as far as where I personally stand, um, I think passages like this are great to study. Um, there is, uh, especially to study with other believers, there, is some, there are some great discussion to be had. I'm sure there's going to be opposing viewpoints. Uh, some people are going to look at the context. Other people, your friends, are going to look at maybe some Greek words uh, and, what, and whatnot. But through that, the concept, the process, is that you've taken time to dive into a text. You've had a great discussion over the Word of God. Whether you agree or disagree on the law or how it applies or how it's used and when it's used, it's always great to do. It is never, ever a bad thing 
to jump into a Bible text and to study together with other believers and to discuss the Word of God, okay? That is always a good thing. I, I know that Ken sometimes has stated this as I've stated this. If all you do is go to a Bible study, and if you walk out of there and the only thing you did was spend time talking about the Word of God, that's a good evening. It's a good thing, okay? The problem is that with this specific text, all of the viewpoints, all of the dialogues, all of the commentators um, are more of our doing, not necessarily of the Apostle Paul's. Okay? I don't believe Paul is trying to be specific here as far as the law, the, the, the law of Moses. I don't believe he's trying to be specific in this. I think he would have just shown it if he was. Okay? Now, he eventually will be specific. When he goes into verses four and following, he absolutely will be because we'll know it based on what he applies it to, okay? That he will be specific because he will apply this, the illustration to the law of God, okay? But here as we start this chapter, all he's doing, it's very simple. He's simply using this as an illustration, an illustration of marriage to point out a very specific principle about the law. Okay? It's an overall generalized statement. You could take it as the law of God if you want. You could not take it as the law of one, but the principle is going to be the same. Paul's going to eventually apply it to the law of God, as we'll see next time. Now, he'll get into more starting once again in verse 4, but right here at the end of verse 1, he begins by giving the general idea. Listen to what he says. This is very important. The end of verse 1 says, The law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Okay? Underline that because that is a big, big, big part of what he's trying to get at. Okay? The law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. Okay? In other words, death, he's saying, releases a person from the laws by which he was bound in life. Okay? It does not matter what kind of law that is. It could be the basic laws of the land, wherever you happen to live. Uh, it might be a contract that you were involved in while you were living. It might be a person who, who maybe committed a crime and was now given a five-year sentence in prison. Okay? After death, those laws no longer apply. If you, pull, if you get pulled over and get a speeding ticket and get for 75 bucks, that's probably a good day if it was 75 bucks, you know, and you die two days later, they're not gonna be knocking on your door, where's my money? It's over. You've died, okay? If, if you passed away and you're supposed to spend five years in prison, they're not going to throw your corpse into the prison cell. It's written off. It's done, okay? It reminded me of this. Uh, many years ago now, um, Donna's mom used to live with us, as I know many of you have dealt with this issue before. But uh, Donna's mother had dementia, and uh, she could not live on her own uh, anymore, uh, there, there came a time when she got so bad that we could not take care of her anymore. Um, we had to put her in a home because she needed much more than we can give. We can only do so much for her. Well, at that point, I went ahead and I called her credit card company, and I told them that they were not going to get paid, 
due to the condition that her mother was in and the fact that the state takes her social security check and gives it to the home that she's going to. They leave you like 40 bucks a month for toiletries or whatnot, but they take all your social security for themselves because it's like three to five grand a month. And of course, her social security wasn't anywhere like that. Okay, but what the point is they take all of that money. Now, Donna's mom would eventually pass away. She had a stroke. Um, but even though her mom signed an agreement, like we all do, she signed an agreement with that credit card company saying she would pay all the money back that she borrowed on that car, that contract became null and void the day she passed away. Okay? The money she owed was done. It's gone. It's set aside. Okay? The laws for her to pay that back no longer applied. That's anecdotal to me because that's something we went through, but that was just reality. The law didn't apply once her mom died. Now, if she didn't have passed away, they're going to be knocking on the door. Hey, we're calling us 15 times a day. Where's my money? I'm sending you to collections, blah, 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 blah. But it didn't happen because she died, and therefore the law didn't no longer apply. So I hope we all understand that basic principle of, of that. Well, after stating that the law is only binding until death, Paul moves into verse 2, and he begins with the simple words, for example. Okay. Now, as I just stated, Paul is going to give an illustration that is very simple to everyone who would understand. Okay? He, he does it just to make his point. He did the same thing prior in chapter 6. If you remember, he used the word slave. Okay? And he used the word slave because uh, there in the Roman Empire, uh, everybody knew what a slave was because they were everywhere. So he used that word because everybody would understand, right? which is the key. He's not trying to hide anything. He wants you to understand. So he's going to use an example that, that makes sense uh, to everybody. So here in verse 2, it's no different with marriage, right? He says, for example... By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So Paul begins this verse with the words, by law. Okay? That is a general description. That could be Jewish law. It could be Roman law. It could be any established country's laws on which the people grew up in because it's a general statement, okay? You'll notice that Paul says here in verse 2, as far as the married woman is concerned, okay, by that law, she is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, okay? Now, which is interesting here, the Greek word for married, if you happen to have that word there, the Greek word for married here in verse 2 is the word hupandros. Now, this is not the, 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 the normal word. There are many different words, actually, for the word married or marriage in the Greek. We, we see it in English as married or marriage, but there are sometimes different Greek words. Okay? This is specifically talking about here in this text alone. Okay? I'm not trying to talk about overall. But in this text, hupandros, it literally means under the power of or subject to the man. Okay? 
The word here for married in verse 2, it says the married woman is hupandros. You are under the subject of the man. This is very similar to obviously what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, being that this word married in verse 2 is also uh, what is in or what is written in the perfect tense in the Greek, that means that she has an ongoing, permanent relationship. There is no breaking that marriage bond for that woman. Okay, Law, just law, binds them together in life. Period. Okay? Even today, by the way, even today, all these years later, people still use, when they get married, they'll still use the line, till death do us part. People still use those words. But Paul says, still here in verse 2, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now, if you happen to have the New American Standard, it says, instead of saying the law of marriage, it says the law of her husband. Anybody have the NAS? It says the law of her husband. Okay, A little more detailed, by the way, than saying the law of marriage. And it was a phrase, it was a way that was writing this back in the day. Remember, this was written in the first century. As you've heard me say, don't, don't ever try to interpret the Bible based on as if it was written yesterday. It was written in the first century. Okay? This was a phrase that was used back in the day. And as you know, right in the middle of the first century, okay, uh, a woman who got married was bound to her husband unless he says otherwise. Okay? Period. A woman was bound unless he said you can go. She had no say. On the other side, sorry ladies, Men were able to send their wives packing for pretty much any reason they wanted. That was how it worked. Okay? But she, which is why you, you, you know, and I don't know this for a fact, but he uses the woman as the example, and I don't know why, but maybe that is for that reason. But the woman didn't have any say. You're in that, you're in that marriage for the long haul, period. Okay? Now, listen, this is important. By saying that, let me just point out something very quick. These verses... Verses 1 through 3, under no circumstances, none, are meant to be a guideline for marriage. Okay? These specific verses are not a guideline for marriage. Paul is not teaching doctrine here. He's not dealing with marriage. He's not dealing with remarriage. He's not dealing with divorce. He's not talking about any of those issues. He's just using marriage as a simple illustration to what he's about to discuss in the next section of verses. Do we all understand that? It's very important we understand that. Okay? This should not be your go-to section when teaching on marriage. Keep that in mind. It's very important. All right, still in verse 2, he says, If her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. That word released there, it means to be nullified. It means to be abolished. Okay? The death of her husband is saying she is no longer under a contract of marriage. 
That means she is free to remarry if she wants. Death has eradicated. Death has set her free from what Paul calls the law of marriage. Just remember that principle, what I just said, because that's what he's going to carry over to the next section. Death has set her free from the law of marriage. You get where I'm going with that? Now, Paul does briefly mention this in other sections of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, he says that the unmarried and the widowed are free to marry. Okay, as a widow, he's saying you are not bound to your dead spouse. Okay, same chapter, verse 39, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, he says a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. That's always a key you have to remember. No unequally yoked things going on here, only in the Lord. And then, of course, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.14, he actually encourages younger widows to remarry. Okay? Encourages them to have children, start a family. You know, if you're widowed at a young age, he encourages them to be remarried. Okay? So according to verse 2, in, listen, in marriage, you are bound. This is the principle. In marriage, you are bound. In death, you are released. That's what he says. In marriage, you are bound because of the law. In death, you are released. Keep these in your mind. That's the point that he's trying to hammer home as this is an illustration for what he talks about. Now, he'll actually bring this up again at the first part, or actually I should just say in verse 3, but let me just read the first part of verse 3. He says, So then as he just continues, so then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. So once again, folks, bringing up something that is pretty much true in any culture, okay, within the law of marriage, if your spouse is still alive, in other words, the person that you are currently married to, important to get that across. Don't think of how we think today in the 21st century, okay? If your spouse is still alive, the person you are currently married to, and you choose another spouse, you're considered an adulterer. Once again, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, this is not and was never meant to be a dialogue on Christian marriage. Even though some things in this passage may be true, okay, it was not meant to go beyond being released from the law after death. It's not meant to, be, to go beyond that because that's the principle. You're released from the law after death. Okay? If it was a whole issue on marriage, Paul would have had to add a whole lot of other points that are clearly laid out in other scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 12. And 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 15. If you want the rundown on what God, how God deals with marriage, remarriage, divorce, and whatnot, those are the passages you would like or need to go to. 
Now, the reason I am pointing all of this out, folks, because some people think, why do I need to know that? The reason I'm pointing this out is that some people believe, and I don't want anybody here to believe this, some people believe that Paul is using this text, using these three verses to prove that divorce is not allowed under any circumstances. You'll notice here, as I just read in the first part there of, of, of verse 3, nothing is mentioned of divorce. Did you catch that? That's why I was very specific by saying this person is the one you're currently married to. It didn't say you were married and then divorced and then remarried. It didn't mention that, did it? It never even brought it up. And therefore, there are some people who will say, well, that's the point. There is no exception. There is no such thing as divorce in a Christian marriage. They're using this text as a pretext for something else. Okay? They're saying there are no exceptions. Now, do not misunderstand. I do absolutely believe God does intend marriage. And by the way, marriage is a man and a woman. Let's make that clear. <laughs> I do believe God intends marriage to be for a lifetime. So don't misunderstand my point. Micah chapter 2, verse 16. What does it say? God hates divorce. He hates it. Okay? But God has allowed he doesn't want, he doesn't desire, but God has allowed two exceptions for divorce which are listed in those verses that I just gave you, okay? To teach this text any other way is to contradict all the marriage passages that God has already given us. Because once again, it's just an illustration setting them up for the next few verses, it's not meant to go beyond that. But as you know, people will abuse anything. They'll use Scripture in any which way to prove their point. We don't want their point. We want God's. That's the key. You don't want my point either. You want God's point, which is why we always want to stick to the context in which something is written. So back to verse 3. Paul says, The woman cannot just marry someone while her husband is still alive she would be an adulterer, okay? And that is why, because she's still bound by law, which is what he said the whole time. But, but, and this will prepare us for next week in Paul's overall point, okay? He says in the second half of verse 3, but if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Okay? Death brings release. The word release means to be set free. Okay? You are set free. Death brings release from the law, he says. He's applying the marriage law to the law, which we'll see in verses 4 through 6. But he's saying that death brings release from the law. To be joined in marriage to another man after her husband dies is perfectly legal and perfectly acceptable. And with that previous marriage being dissolved, Paul says she is not an adulterer if she marries another man. Now, in closing, if for some reason 
um, you're still kind of wondering where this is leading to. Paul is predominantly speaking to Jewish believers in the church who are confused about what to do with the law of God. Now, Paul could have just probably gave two sentences, but instead he gave three verses. <laughs> because that's how Paul is. He's like me. He just got to set, he's very analytical. He just got to set things up. Okay? But he's talking to his Jewish brethren and how they're supposed to deal with the law. Okay? So using these verses as a precursor, Paul is going to say, we died to the law. Right? Think of what the illustration we just looked at today. We died to the law, he's saying, and now we belong to Christ. In other words, because of that death, remember we died with Christ, us believers, right? Romans 6 says we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We rose with Christ, spiritually speaking. Because of that death, as the illustration says, we're no longer under that law. We're now free to go to another which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to anybody and everybody? Some people are just going, huh? You get to love how people look at you. This is always great. Because of that death, we are remarried, if you will. Okay? Let me read verse 6, and we'll close just for, for next week. It says, just so you get understanding, he says, but now by dying to what once bound us, that's the law. By dying to what once once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Death released us from that law of marriage. We're now connected with someone else. And we're led by the Spirit of God. We don't live in sin because we're not under the law. We're led by the Spirit, he says, right? And we live in a new way, not the old way of the written code, which is just another word for the law, okay? Sorry, I had to explain that a few times, but I did not have enough time to go through verses 1 through 6 today, or we'd be here for a little while. Victor would have got up and eaten lunch already. So... Uh, but I hope that gives you a little understanding as we prepare for next week. This was just the illustration that he's going to use in preparing us. And this is very important, folks, because there are many, many people today who still believe that we're married to, bound to, under the law. Okay? And that is not the case. We are belong to someone else, as Paul just said. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time today. I, I hope it wasn't confusing for anybody, but uh, Lord, I thank you that he did give us a simple illustration that I know we all understand as far as the law of marriage and how we're bound and yet released at death. And so, Lord, help us to take that picture in our mind, that understanding, as we go into the next few verses and, uh, and, and understand uh, your view, the truth, about how we are as believers, even Jewish believers or Gentile, really, uh, to deal with the law. Christians have never been under the Mosaic law. But Lord, there are many people who still believe that. So Lord, give us uh, an understanding. If there's anybody here who's still confused about that, help us to see what your word is teaching us, certainly as we go through this text from next week. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.